Welcome to Find Flow, a podcast on the ebb and flow of the IT operations management scene. We take a deep dive into the latest developments on IT operations management, IT service management, and AI ops. Find Flow episodes are on iTunes and Spotify, and remember to subscribe. I'm your host, Sean McDermott, and this is Find Flow. Welcome everybody. I'm your host Sean McDermott, and uh, as every as you know, this year or this season, we're focused very much on different vendors. And today, uh, we're honored to have Big Panda with us. So, I wanted to welcome Brian Dell, who is the Chief Revenue Officer for for uh, Big Panda, and Mohan Capella. Capella, sorry, Mohan, uh, who is the uh, VP of Product Marketing. So, Brian and and Mohan, welcome. Glad to be here, Sean. Thanks for having us. Good. So, uh, Brian, let's start with you. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah. Hi. As as Sean said, I'm Brian Dell. I am the Chief Revenue Officer of Big Panda. I have responsibility for essentially all customer-facing touch points, from marketing to pre-sales, sales, and all of our post-sale customer success teams as well. Prior to Big Panda, I was at App Dynamics, running sales for the Western region for them. Before that, I was at a company called Medallia in the customer experience management space and then did stints at, at CA and Quest Software in, in the, the industry before that, based here in Orange County, uh, California. Excellent. And Mohan, I know you're a, you're a former Virginia guy, but now you're out in California. So uh, <laughs> give us a little bit of background on that. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Thank you. So, hey, folks, uh, Mohan Kompela, run product marketing here at Big Panda. Uh, so at this point, I've actually spent about two decades in IT ops, starting my career as a NetCool certified consultant all the way back in 99. So since then, I've been in a, a variety of roles, uh, including pre-sales, solution architecture, uh, consulting, I guess today I would call that customer success, et cetera, before I moved into marketing and product marketing. And like Sean said, I lived out east in Washington, D.C. for almost 17 years before moving to California to join Big Panda in uh, uh, four years ago or so. Uh, so at Big Panda, what I do and what product marketing does is it sits between product, marketing, uh, sales, and the outward uh, uh, facing uh, teams such as customers and markets and influencers, so on and so forth. Try to really connect the dots between the product and what customers need and what prospects want. And uh, yeah, loving it. Good, good. So you went out there for your own gold rush? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I haven't uh, dug up a lot of gold yet, but I hear it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Excellent. So Brian, uh, so we'll start with you. And you and I have had some conversations prior to this about you know kind of state of, state of AI ops. And uh, I mean, you obviously come from uh, App Dynamics in that background, so you've been around the space for a while. So um, give me your, give us your perspective on AI ops, like, like the history of AI ops, how we got here, and, and kind of where we are today. Yeah, I think from a historical perspective, right, um, AI ops is seeking to solve a problem that people have been trying to solve for 20 plus years, right? I, I think even back to my days at, at CA and even before I was there where, you know, with the Unicenters and the Netcools and the, um, the HP Openviews of the world, right? People have been trying to um, make sense of all of the IT data they, they get. 
from all of the different solutions and, and make it more, more usable. And, um, you know, for the first time in IT operations, I, I believe people are actually starting to have an ally in, in AI and ML, which is, you know, being, being called AI ops now that, that dramatically in, improves their lives. And for the first time, people are actually using AI ops to prevent and resolve outages at scale. And they're doing that with their own data and they're doing it with third-party data to, to really um, help customers drive the bottom line results they want, right? Whether that is through operational efficiencies or through protection of revenue and performance or through whatever transformation is, is, is occurring in the business. And in many ways, right, it's, I think right now is one of the best times to be in IT operations, period. I think the pandemic really shown a, a huge light on the value that IT ops brings to an organization, particularly as uh, everybody had to go figure out how to work remotely and were scrambling to make all their systems operate and, and, and function effectively. And I think as a result, IT ops has earned a much bigger, more strategic seat at the table in that executive boardroom. And they have the power of AI ops to, to help them be, be more effective. Now, I think that's the good news. Um, the bad news is because AI ops is becoming so popular and potentially so valuable to organizations, it's also become a very broad, bloated, sometimes confusing category for consumers. And, you know, there's really no AI ops police out there. So every vendor in the monitoring space, in the ITSM space, in the ticketing space, in the collaboration space, in the on-call space, everyone is saying they do AI ops. And everybody is telling enterprises and customers that their version of AI ops is what they need right now, right? So if, if you are an enterprise uh, and you're in IT operations, AI ops is definitely here. It's real. It works. It's bringing value. But good luck figuring out where to start the journey and, and what kind of AI ops tools to pick and, and, and who's sort of telling the right story and, and who isn't. So, so we talk a lot about here, um, AI ops is a strategy, it's not a product. Um, so when you talk about AI ops in this broad description, which I totally agree, right? It's, it's um, being, um, everyone's kind of throwing that term into their marketing and it's, it can yeah. be very confusing to people. What is, what is your definition of AI ops? Because you used a couple of references like service desk is using AI ops and customer care is using AI ops. In your, in your mind, what is AI ops? Yeah. So, um, look, I think AI ops is now where DevOps was 10 years ago, right? Like back 10 years ago, everybody wanted to buy a DevOps tool. Uh, if you went and said, hey, uh, I'm going to buy a DevOps tool to today, people would laugh at you or they'd ask you, you know, which, which kind of DevOps tool are you talking about? A continuous integration tool, a continuous testing tool, continuous delivery tool? Like the, those are all pieces and components of, of DevOps. And I, I think you'll see that happen with AI ops. And, and I think it's happening already, right? Gartner, who's essentially coined the term, they've started to create subcategories within AI ops, calling it domain agnostic and domain centric. And I think even those are, are still quite, quite broad because if you look in it, you'll see a, a log analytics vendor and a ticketing vendor and a vendor like Big Panda all instill the same category. And I think that will even probably fragment itself out a bit more over the next few years. So when I think of AI ops, 
you know, I am still thinking about it in kind of those two broad categories today, but the first sort of AI ops side of the world is where they are specific to some area of IT operations. For example, APM, Application Performance Management, everybody knows what that is. Um, they will have AI ops tools or AI ops components to their APM suite. Same for maybe a network performance monitoring solution or an on-call tool that, that has um, AI built into it. And in many cases, what I think companies are doing here, and, and it, there'll be value in this too, uh, but it's essentially an extension of what they do today in their core offering, but they're building some AI added into it to help make more sense of the data that they're providing to their customers. I know that AppDynamics was certainly making that kind of investment you know, three and a half, four years ago when I was there through acquisition, really with the desire to say, hey, I have all of this data, all these metrics that we are providing to our customers. How do I make it more usable leveraging AI? The second category though, and, and this is where I think enterprises are getting really excited, is these domain agnostic, vendor agnostic, tool agnostic, data agnostic, source agnostic tools that are able to pull in third-party data, data that they don't, do not own or are not producing or collecting themselves, put it together leveraging AI to then make it usable and correlate it together and make sense of it all. And um, that tool doesn't really have a horse in the race, right? Like the APM tool who adds on other things, they certainly are gonna be biased towards leveraging their own data, right? It, I think the difference is comfortability in handling third-party data or data from any source and any tool in the ecosystem, not just monitoring, but change data and topology data and any other data that starts to, to proliferate across the organization. Gotcha. Yeah, this idea of third-party data is pretty interesting, right? Because you've got, you hear about this a lot in the retail world, and we have, a, we have another weekly broadcast that we do, and we were talking about this, I think, last week or the week before. And uh, we were talking about an example in which weather data was being overlaid with order management data and cloud, cloud resource data. So you can actually start saying, hey, you've got certain weather patterns happening which are generating certain climate conditions which make uh, certain um, products more advantageous or, or desirable that then generate more orders which puts more load on specific cloud instances in different data centers compared to well, a data center maybe in the southeast if the weather's nice versus a data center up in you know Portland, Oregon that where the weather's rainy, right? So the third-party data I think is really really exciting when you when you finally get down this journey of understanding what AI ops can do for you. The ability to bring in the third-party data is is going to be really really exciting to see that. So. So that being said, where where do you see AI ops going in say the next three to five years? Yeah, and I'm going to comment a little bit on the third party data for a second because mm -hmm. I think there's one more piece there that that makes sense, and then I'll I'll sort of go into the the, the future, which I think I I sort of hit on it a little bit, and there'll probably be some further fragmentation, which I'll talk about in a second. But you know, the other part about that third party data is that. Um, data sets are very fragmented across especially large enterprises today. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there was this dream and vision many years ago of a CMDB that was the single source of truth for relationships and topology and everything, right? And, and I, 
I think most organizations would say that that was never fully realized. And, and now if you think about like relationship mapping and even topological looks at, a, at an IT infrastructure, it's fragmented across multiple tools often, right? You might have something in VMware, you might have something in an AWS tool, you, you still have a CMDB that has partial relationships. And the key to, or one of the keys to AI ops is being able to, to take these fragmented data sets and, and piece them together and, and also to enrich one data set with the data of another. Meaning, you know, I have these alerts coming from my monitoring tools, but they don't have any contextual relationship around topology. But over here, we have um, a piece of context in, in, in our AWS environment. And over here, we have another piece of context in our CMDB environment. And if somehow I could just put all three of those together and then, you know, use the machine learning to make sense of it, I could actually start to create really smart correlations out of it. And, and the ability to take those fragmented data sets, whether it be from on-prem and cloud or multi-cloud environments, whether it be from IT ops and centralized NOC teams and DevOps and SRE teams, which are using different data sets, or from the different tool sets that I just kind of described, um, you know, pulling all of those tools and, and environments together and, and leveraging them to enrich each other, to relate seemingly unrelated things, uh, drastically increases the power of what AI ops can, can bring to an organization. And, you know, candidly, I, I think that's the future. I think you're going to see AI and ML in, in just about every tool set there is. Uh, I think that there'll be a lot of value in those domain specific use cases I talked about, like an APM type of AI ops solution. I think that it will start to really, um, I think the use cases are going to lean heavily towards the vendor agnostic side, uh, and, it, and it will favor those who can um, take all of those disparate data sets and unify them in a smart, usable, pragmatic way. And, um, and, and that's, that's what AIOps is really going to become, is, is how, do we, how do we unify these data sets? How do we leverage AI to make sense of them? How do we automate everything that we possibly can that comes out of those unified machine learning correlated data sets and where we can't make the automations or where, where organizations aren't yet comfortable with that automation, providing them a smarter way to work more efficiently and effectively to solve problems faster with less people with, a, with lesser impact to the business. Or before, yeah, I agree. I agree the that impacted even right. Like, I'm sorry, say it again, but before the business is impacted, even in some yeah. cases, yeah, well, I mean, that's the, that's the whole point, right? Is, is how, how can you how can you get access to this data and make decisions before you know business is impacted? But I think you're right on the future. I mean, we talk about this a lot that um, AI is just going to be embedded in everything going forward. I mean, we're already seeing it embedded in in uh, endpoint systems, and we're seeing it embedded into uh, hardware devices, and uh, every vendor out there is going to be implementing some type of of ML at a, you know at a minimum into their product. It doesn't matter how all these vendors are going to play together, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, good. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate your uh, your your thoughts on that. So, why don't we switch over to Mohan? So, uh, Mohan, you're up. Um, let's talk a little bit about Big Panda, right? So, um, why don't you kind of give us an overview of the Big Panda offering and what you guys are bringing to market? I know you've been around for what, nine or ten years? So um, you're 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 not legacy, you know. You're not one of these um, uh, companies that are trying to move into AI, AI and 
um, you know, augment their product. You guys kind of started from the beginning as an, as your vision as an AI ops product. So let's um, love to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. I just warn you, though, that uh, outside of my family, this is probably my second favorite topic in the world. So you're going to have to quarrel me a little bit and stop me if I get too excited. But hopefully the user, your listeners can appreciate some of that enthusiasm. Uh, so let's say, yeah, like you said, you know, we kind of, we, uh, Big Panda, right, from day one, we were built and designed to solve some of the problems, you know, we've just been talking about. It's not, it didn't start as an afterthought. We didn't start, like, doing A and then start to, you know, do this on the site. This is basically what we've done, you know, from the very beginning. So the reason uh, I think, you know, customers are interested in Big Panda and what we do or what we bring to the table for AI ops is basically three things, right? Really simple. The first one is event correlation. So what we have or what we use is an explainable version and explainable AI, of course, I think is becoming very popular. So we are also powered by an explainable version of machine learning and we call our technology open box machine learning. So we use open box machine learning to cross correlate third-party data sets coming in from all of your monitoring tools, your change in topology tools, we distill all of the data down to a small number of meaningful incidents, typically at a 95% noise reduction rate. And these are incidents that humans can understand, you know, what they mean, what's impacted, and what action to take to resolve that issue. Uh, so that, that, I think, is the first key capability uh, for the Big Panda platform, right? Identifying those issues as they start to form before they become a crippling, uh, terrible, painful outage, right? And uh, I mean, on the subject of outages, you know, yesterday, I think, the world found out uh, this terrible outage that Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp had, and uh, obviously not to, not specific to them, but in general, I think we all understand. Is it really that bad that social media went down for about six hours? <laughs> I mean. Depends on who you ask, right? Depends yeah. on who you ask. <laughs> so that's the first capability. The second one is, you know, once you detect that there's a problem, right? Uh, and I've been in this, like I was saying before, I've been in this space for two decades now, and I remember sitting in Knox next to L1s and L2s. And as soon as they identify that there's a problem and they see one in the console, they immediately say, you know, what broke, right? It used to be actually until about, I would say, until about five years ago, they used to say, what broke? In the last five years or so, as IT has become much more complex and cloud-native, people say, what changed? You know, which config file changed or, you know, which DevOps engineer uh, maybe rolled out an application update, and of the thousands of associated changes, which one change caused that problem or instant or outage? So what Big Panda does is, and that's the second key capability, we in real time we sift through all of the changes, the hundreds of thousands of changes, we match them to the incidents and say it's likely, it's very likely, it's highly likely that this one inc uh, incident was caused by this change or maybe this other one, right? So the idea is you take a thousand changes, you collapse them down to like two or three and you say it's likely that one of these caused your problem. And that I think is huge because that means that your teams can now quickly identify the root cause change and resolve that issue or roll that change back and resolve that issue. So that's two. And the third one is, you know, what we call level zero automation, which essentially means that we become that one uh, automation augmentation layer 
that assists your L1s, your L2s, and L3s in responding, remediating, and resolving that problem quickly. Uh, and this is uh, something that I think is, you know, it, it matters a lot to enterprises. So, for example, we have a large uh, Fortune 500 insurance giant that simply by creating a ticket in ServiceNow automatically based on Big Panda data, you know, this company saves about uh, 160 man hours every week, which, you know, you do that times a 52, and it becomes quickly obvious that one single manual task that's now become an action uh, that's become automated with Big Panda that's saving the hundred, hundreds of hours. And uh, that's, again, a very simplistic example. Uh, a more, uh, uh, like if you zoom out a little bit and talk about something a little bit more complex, we have some other Fortune 500 customers that by integrating Big Panda with their other third-party remediation tools, are able to achieve 40 to 60% auto remediation uh, you know, for their incidents, which again is uh, huge, not just in terms of cost efficiencies or the reliability of their business services, but it's also huge in terms of uh, eliminating a lot of the manual toil and getting through the holy grail of uh, IT operations, which is the closed loop remediation or auto remediation. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about um, the, this integration. That last point you made is kind of interesting. So can you give us an example of, of a client that's integrating Big Panda, what they're integrating into, and, and what the what's driving this 40 to 60% savings? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I think the integration uh, ecosystem, I'm sorry, the auto remediation uh, or the remediation tool ecosystem is interesting, right? You have tools, you have open source tools, you have commercial tools, and there's just no shortage of tools like that. I mean, just a couple uh, products I can rattle off quickly, I would say, you know, Stackstorm, uh, Resolve, uh, there's others, like there's a company called Rundeck, and there's a few others like that. And uh, so one of our, I would say Big Panda's defining philosophies has been uh, the ability to work with any tool that a customer or prospect has, regardless of who the vendor is. And this kind of actually goes back to what Brian was saying, the whole vendor agnostic uh, approach that we have. So on the one hand, we ingest data from just about any tool. But on the other hand, when it comes time for us to plug into or integrate or work with a third-party tool, we're also very vendor agnostic. Our APIs are open and flexible, so they can plug into any one of these. So that one uh, specific example where this large uh, technology vendor, Fortune 500 companies, uh, auto-remediating, I think 60% of their incidents is by plugging Big Panda into one of the open source remediation tools. Gotcha, gotcha. So when we start looking at Big Panda, so going back to what Brian said, right, there, there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of companies that, I mean, clearly you can go to Gartner and look at some of the things that they've done as far as research on this, this space. But there's no shortage of companies now that are basically saying AI ops, right? So, so what are some of your key differentiators that you see um, with Big Panda compared to some of your competitors? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so consistently, you know, we see three reasons why uh, 
prospects uh, pickers and prospects continue to use Big Panda. And I think the first one is uh, what I actually alluded to in the very beginning of my section, which was our implementation of machine learning, and we call that open box machine learning. Uh, what that means for users, right, the users that use Big Panda is that for the very first time, and I think honestly it's uh, unique, you know, un unparalleled, unprecedented, uh, the, the, the first time they're actually able to see in plain English the logic that our machine learning uses to correlate uh, all the alerts and reduce the noise, they can actually edit that logic and incorporate their own institutional or tribal knowledge. And last but not the least, once they make any of those changes, before they push that into production, just like you would expect with any kind of application development shop, they can test and preview the results of those changes to the machine learning logic before it's deployed in production. Uh, and what that means for uh, enterprise and users is that they can actually start to gain trust in Big Panda and Big Panda's machine learning because they know that they can see what it is doing, they can tweak it, they can change it, they can edit it, they can test it, they can preview it and control it. And that, I think, creates a lot of confidence and it spurs adoption. Uh, and this is something, again, like I said, this is something that we see consistently that in every uh, customer account that we are in, uh, they love and they treasure the open, the transparency, the testability, and the controllability of our machine learning. So that's number one. So, uh, so let's, let's stay on that point for a while. Yeah. So how, how are they testing? Are you basically taking um, live feeds in and kind of splitting it out and some go to the to the current version and some go into these new versions or are you using data that you've collected over the last you know period of time yeah it's how do you run these tests yeah yeah it's the second thing that you said so it's basically the data that we collected so what happens is in the big panda console you go in and you we basically show you uh, in simple you know plain english what the correlation logic or the correlation pattern looks like you can basically make a change to it and then you can say uh, essentially, uh, hit a button that says, you know, test this against data collected in the last so many days or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so many weeks. And we then tell you, had you had that new or changed uh, pat correlation pattern, we actually tell you what that would have done to that data set that you're testing against, that past historical data set. So the interesting thing there is it's not simulated data, it's not test data, it's your own data that you've collected and you can actually, it's almost like some people call this a what if machine, right? Or a what if engine. You're basically going back in time and you're replaying that data and you're applying a new correlation pattern to it and you're seeing what could have been. Can, um, can users build their own ML models or is it really more about editing what you guys have out of the box? So there are two things, uh, and uh, in fact, uh, you're actually making a jump a little bit ahead, so I'll digress for one second and come back. But uh, one of the nice things about our platform uh, and the AI and the machine learning that we have is uh, users don't have to build their own machine learning models at all. Instead, uh, typically what happens is you deploy Big Panda, the machine learning models are pre-trained, they kind of hit the ground running, so they start to already reduce the noise and do a lot of the correlation. Then in about six to eight weeks, they start to learn from your data in your environment and then they start to hit about a 70, 75% uh, noise reduction rate. Now, and over time, typically in 10 to 12 weeks, we get to about 90, 95% reduction, all that. Now, having said that, 
Let's say you add in a new tool that's creating new data or a new type of data is being uh, ingested. Uh, Big Panda will automatically parse the data periodically and suggest new correlation patterns for you. And, and that's a key word there is suggest. We, I think one of the, you know, one of the driving uh, philosophies for us is we never want to autonomously make decisions for our users, right? We want to make sure that they're always in control. They're always in the driver's seat. So what, what Big Panda does is it suggests a new correlation pattern, and then the user is free to examine it, test it if they choose to, make any changes if they want to, and then deploy that in production. Now, having said all of that, uh, there are instances, again, uh, this is based on you know, recent examples, but there are cases where a user might say, look, uh, I don't like uh, one of these co suggested correlation patterns, or I don't even want to wait to ingest you know, two more weeks of data from this new tool before the system gives me a new pattern. I want to go in myself, and I, I want to basically play with the system, create my own pattern. And the UI you know, completely supports it. You go in, and you probably, in, in five or 10 minutes, you're able to create a brand new correlation pattern. Interesting. Very interesting. So I didn't mean to uh, I didn't mean to derail you on your uh, your second differentiating <laughs> point. So uh, all good, all good. Uh, the second one I think actually uh, 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 expands a little bit on what uh, you know Brian was saying, right? Uh, and again, this is probably I would say the second uh, design principle for us was to make sure that we took a very neutral, agnostic approach to vendors and data sources and tools. And I'll tell you why that's the case, right? The typical enterprise, and now you're talking about a, a large mid-sized enterprise or maybe a Fortune 1000 type company, a typical enterprise has eight, 10, 15 different monitoring and observability tools and that they've accumulated probably over you know, five, 10, 20 years. On top of that, they also have these days, you know, five to six sources of topology and change data. So what that means is a typical enterprise when they are looking to adopt AI ops, right? Uh, out of the gate, the requirement is that you fit in or you are able to integrate with those uh, 20, 25 different tools. So and that's where, you know, because Big Panda takes a very agnostic approach, I think enterprises like it. So the specific uh, technology component in the product that is, that's designed to work with all of these tools is something that we call the open integration hub. So our, our, our tool agnostic open integration hub ingests and normalizes data from all of these tools and the topology sources and change uh, sources. Then uh, we have another module that we call the event enrichment engine. It's, it's a built-in enrichment engine, as the name suggests, of course. And that's able to uh, uh, add all this operational and topological context uh, at scale and able to basically process millions of alerts every day. Again, connecting that word to, uh, to what Brian said, so if you have topology data or some kind of co uh, contextual piece of data that's part of your CMDB, and there's some other uh, type of topology uh, uh, source that's maybe sitting in AWS, Big Panda is able to dynamically dip into all of these different sources. Think of like an octopus reaching into all of these sources. It's able to pull the enrichment data out, the contextual data out, and in real time, it's able to enrich the incoming alert stream. And I think by doing that, 
uh, we're able to unify all of these fragmented tools, all the fragmented teams that depend on different tools and the fragmented environments, right? On-prem, cloud, multi-cloud. We're able to unify all of that stuff. That I think is very important because, you know, customers tell us, right, we looked at products A, B, and C, and we found that Big Panda was the most suited to work with our hybrid teams, our hybrid tools, and our hybrid environments. I think that consistently is another theme uh, that, that we hear is, or rather I would say another reason why we think prospects pick Big Panda. Excellent. Anything else you want to highlight? Yeah, the third one, which uh, I think I kind of uh, gave a quick preview of earlier, which is uh, the time to value, right? And I think most of us have been in this space, the enterprise IT space, where projects typically last uh, nine months, you know, 12 months, 18 months. And I'm probably a little embarrassed to admit that uh, in past lives, I myself have been part of these multi-month, multi-year projects, right? Where you're basically doing iterative uh, uh, not iterative, you're basically doing these 18, 24-month projects with massive milestones and a Gantt chart that requires a PhD to understand. Uh, and I think a lot of companies have really been burned by that. And I think uh, with Big Panda, the, so the third differentiator for us that is very important is uh, the, this overwhelming majority of our customers go live in typically 10 to 12 weeks. And that's just a game changer for our customers. And I think that's because you don't need experts Right? You don't need armies of consultants who are spending 16 months deploying Big Panda. Uh, you don't need a lot of uh, expensive or scarce data scientists to come back and train Big Panda or train the models, like to your question. There's no training required because the system does it on its own. Uh, and uh, I mean, the fact that our overhead is really, really low. Like some of our largest customers, they have half an admin, half a full-time admin taking care of Big Panda. Again, I remember the days with other products in the past where you basically had small armies of admins uh, responsible for the care and feed some of these products. I think Big Panda really changes the game there. And that, I think, is the third reason why, why we get chosen. Good. Excellent. Well, this has been very enlightening. Um, glad you guys could join us. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to bring up before is yours? And... Uh... Maybe one, you know, uh, again, like another comment that kind of ties back to what Brian was saying in the beginning is, uh, I think the, the good news is that, you know, AI is real and it works. And I think the not so good news is that it's it, it's a very confusing landscape with so many vendors calling themselves AI ops. Uh, and I think like you said, Sean, you know, AI ops is a movement, AI ops is a journey, and AI ops is not a product. So what I would say is, you know, for, for your listeners, uh, when you're thinking of evaluating AI ops tools, and maybe you know not just a broad, a generic uh, AI ops platform, but something that you're looking to solve a problem with, you know, think in terms of uh, maybe you know what are desired characteristics of those solutions versus what are some required capabilities. And what I would say is maybe in the desired bucket, I would put things like ease of use, maybe self-service or rapid time to value, etc. And the must-have bucket, I'd strongly encourage your listeners to think about the ability to work with all of your tools, the ability to prep, cl cleanse and prep data uh, as a built-in capability, obviously explainable AI, which I think would be huge. And then really making sure that uh, these tools are delivering value, not just for the most mature organizations out there, but maybe you know, at this point, I should probably hold up a flag and say democratizing AI ops, right? 
I think that's important because it's real, there's real value, but just make sure that you pick a tool that everyone, every org, every team, every persona can use and benefit from. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you on uh, this this episode. And uh, Brian and Mohan, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. And I guess if they want to learn more, they can go to www.bigpanda.com. Uh, you want to plug anything else? Uh, just say .io, bigpanda.io. Oh, bigpanda.io. Okay, bigpanda.io. Sorry about that. <laughs> and um, is there another bigpanda.com out there? Is it Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks a lot for joining joining this episode and uh, appreciate your time and love to have you guys back on um, sometime in the future to talk about some some specific things. You definitely left us a, left us with a lot to think about. So appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Sean. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Take Sean. Care. All right. Bye, Brian. Bye, Bye Mohan. Thanks for joining us in this week's episode. IT operations management is all about staying on top of the wave. Hit the like button, tell us what you thought about this episode, share and subscribe. And we'll see you next week on Find Flow.